Dibble with the John Chuckery Sports Radio. Yeah! Sports Radio 929 the game. All right, Kirby Smart. You remember about three years ago, Tampa Bay Buccaneers wanted to talk to Kirby. Of course, clearly nothing came of that. And uh, Kirby has two national titles now. Is there a chance that he would ever go to the NFL? Personally, I have absolutely no idea what his long-term goals are. Maybe he's just going to be happy always being at Athens and being a legend in Athens. He's already earned a statue, basically, but that's his alma mater. And maybe he wants to catch Nick Saban. On the other hand, I saw this interview with Kirby. I think it was last summer. And coming out of the COVID year, that June, a couple years ago, Kirby almost quit, resigned. He was feeling a little bit burned out. And there's basically no rest, never-ending grind. Kirby's probably recruiting today, matter of fact. And he talked about how a healthy work-life balance just doesn't exist in college football. Early signing period also, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, talked about they should probably do away with that. And Kirby Kirby Smart and Sonny Dykes were both talking about how we basically have no lives now. None. Could burnout be a factor? The NFL is a far different animal. There's been many college coaches that did not have any success on the next level. There's been several that have. It doesn't mean that has nothing to do with Kirby Smart, though. doesn't mean he will. doesn't mean he won't. But I just wonder. And he was talking about in that article where, where I mentioned uh, he talked about uh, I actually thought about resigning. I was just so so done with it. He finds creative ways to actually give his staff a day off here and there. Encourages their kids and wives to even be there after practice to greet greet them, just to uh, have some semblance of normalcy in a very chaotic, never-ending, 24-hour-a-day working job. But think about in the NFL. No practice constraints. In college, you're only allowed to uh, coach players 20 hours a week during the uh, season. College, you have to recruit. You have to go kiss the backsides of 17- and 18-year-olds. NFL, of course, they have a a draft, an ordered selection system. Limited in number of picks as well. Kirby's having to go out and supplement his roster every year. And it never ends. And this is why I think it wouldn't surprise me if someday he ends up going to the NFL. I'm not saying he will. I wouldn't be surprised if he don't. I just wonder, though, because of the realities of what coaching is now, it's a a 24-hour-a-day job. And I wonder if he will burn out. Right now, he seems like a guy with never-ending energy, but people do burn out. Just because of all those things. And think about this. As 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 a college coach, you're the face of the university. You have to deal with alumni, the boosters, the administration, student body, the whole thing. You have to be a bit of a CEO. You're not just a pure football coach. Can you imagine having all that money? Kirby don't even really have the time to spend it. That's right. That's right. He got time to give it to his <laughs> wife and kids right. and you know, other people to, so they can spend it. Yep. But Kirby, Kirby doesn't have time to just go out and shop or be like, hey, let me go out and buy a boat today. Right. You don't have right. that kind of time. Yep. I'm going to buy a boat that I never get to uh, really ride in that much. <laughs> right. <Although> we- <laughs> I mean, it's something to think about. As a college coach, you have a lot of different obligations. You have to make your appearances, this, that, and the other. Pro football coach, guess what they're doing? 
They're not dealing with alumni. They're not dealing with the administration. They're coaching. 100% devoted to coaching. They might have some input in personnel, but that's what the general manager's for. It might be a slightly uh, less tiresome venture, but, of course, the NFL's filled with its own pressures. You know, college, you're uh, developing molding talent. NFL, you're basically a shepherd of egos and also a bit of a psychologist as well. You're dealing with grown men with families and a lot of money. So you can't treat professional athletes the way you do college athletes. That's a difference there, but I'm sure Kirby could embrace that. And I'm not saying that I hope Kirby does go to the NFL. I hope he stays in Athens for the next 20 years and wins five more titles. I do. But I wonder at some point, will he burn out? Because he showed signs of that coming out of COVID. Something about that year just really ate him to the core. Like I said, it's a never-ending grind. He's recruiting today. You heard Nick Saban talk about after he won his national titles, what are you going to do tomorrow? I got to recruit. I got to recruit. So it wouldn't be a shock, and I guarantee you, there's already NFL teams that have been calling him. Certainly, I guarantee you they have been. Hey, if Nathaniel Hackett can get a job in the NFL, why can't Kirby? (laughs) What a joke that hire was. Cliff Kingsbury fired, of course, another college coach who couldn't quite cut it in the NFL after four years out there with the Cardinals. Lovey Smith let go as well because we had Black Monday yesterday. So I am sure. And by the way, uh, Jim Harbaugh apparently going to interview with the uh, Denver Broncos after – saying that he was uh, almost certain that he will be completely devoted to coaching Michigan next year. But used to my word, verbal judo there talking about, you kind of alluded to the fact, well, anything's possible. So certainly if uh, Jim Harbaugh's phone's ringing, I guarantee you Kirby's is too, but right now I don't see him going anywhere for a couple of years. But I think in about two, three years, he's 46. 46 years old. I could see in three years that maybe he'd want to see if he could win a Super Bowl. Because sometimes you've accomplished all you can accomplish. Even if he has just two national championships, well, I have two national championships I've accomplished. I've been to the top of mountain in college football twice. Never going to catch Nick. Big deal. I want to see what I can do at the next level. And I think Nick Saban would have been successful with the Dolphins. Randy McMichael told me this. The only reason Nick Saban left the Dolphins because he wanted Drew Brees, but the medical staff would not sign off on that shoulder issue that he had, a devastating shoulder issue. Imagine had Drew Brees ended up in Miami playing with Randy McMichael, being coached by Nick Saban. Could have been a whole different thing. Nick Saban wasn't a failure on the NFL level. Kind of an incomplete grade, if you ask me. Then, of course, he takes the LSU job, wins the title there, then wins six more at Alabama. I mean, Al Groh even had some success on the NFL level. He led the Jets to a 9-7 and record back in the day. They're, Barry Switzer was smart enough not to mess with anything when he took over for Jimmy Johnson the Dallas Cowboys. Remember, he won three titles at Oklahoma. But he just kind of left things alone. And there's a famous, uh, famous uh, video footage of Troy Aikman on the sideline. Why am I the only one that's willing to coach these guys and get after him? Barry Switzer is very passive. But he knew not to mess up, mess up that cart. He knew. I didn't have to do much. That Super Bowl team was already intact, and he wins the Super Bowl. And Cowboys certainly didn't win it because of him. Maybe not necessarily in spite of him, but he certainly wasn't that big of a deal as what the aspirations of that team were because that roster was already intact on their way to winning eventually three. 
So the whole notion, that's such a tired argument. I hate when people say stuff like that, speaking broad generalizations. Well, college coaches just don't work on the NFL level. Well, Pete Carroll's done pretty well. There's always examples, and there's always examples to support your claim, but everybody's an individual. Everybody brings their own individual traits, their own personality, their psychological makeup, their acumen, their means of motivation, their psychological traits to really talk to players. I mean, every guy's different. You can't paint with a broad brush. You just can't do it. Now, do I see him doing it? Not necessarily, but I wouldn't be shocked because I think it's even become more of a never-ending grind. And you just heard Dylan say, you know, he's got all that money but no time to spend it. I wonder how much vacation does he take. I guess, will he take a vacation after the final signing day in February? Is that like a little two-week window there before, uh, you know, spring practice starts? I'm not sure. Man, I wonder just like on if he does take a little two-week vacation, how lit does Kirby Smart get? I mean, he probably puts back a few. He just got all that buildup of you think so? stress and anxiety. I picture him not being able to relax on vacation. He's still worried probably. about his job. He can't relax and enjoy a vacation. He's probably texting recruits all day. Right, right. He's uh, just wound up that way, that type A personality. Just work, 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 work. Yeah, you got to be wired different. To you got to be wired different. Be a great coach, great college coach. And I've seen some of the most um, – my ex-father-in-law, hyper-successful dude, million, multimillionaire – one of the most miserable rich guys I've ever seen in my life. It's like, how much more can you accomplish? And it's not enough. They're still unhappy. So it's that what drives them to accomplish more and more and more, ironically, they're never happy, never satisfied. They can accomplish everything, conquer the world. They're still not happy. It's not enough. It's not enough. So that trait that gets you there also prohibits you from enjoying the fruits of your labor. It's a, it's a fascinating dichotomy. I'm not saying necessarily Kirby's that. But I do picture him not being able to relax on vacation for whatever reason because he's such an intense dude. And apparently uh, some audio leaked for his, from his pregame speech last night. I don't know if that's necessarily from that game. It was one of a, another one of his uh, very motivational obscenity-laced tirades. So basically, it would be like putting Scarface, the movie Scarface, on network television. You'd only hear about three words of dialogue because everything else would be bleeped out. <laughs> yeah, thanks for for uh, not making me have to try to air that yeah, because I, it's, I it's almost an that. air ball. Yeah, it is. It'd take you an hour to edit it. And we it would. Get, we'd only have about three sentences. Now let's go. That's all we can hear. Right. Everything else is blank, blank, beep, blank, beep, blank, beep, 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 beep. Let's go. That's what it would be. But I, he certainly is a different dude. It would not shock me if he did, in fact, end up going to the NFL. It wouldn't shock me if he stayed. But the reality is now – with all the things associated with college football, the transfer portal, NIL, all the things, it just makes it more difficult to navigate those waters. And it seems like, and Grant, you have a huge staff to deal with it, but you still have to oversee that staff. I think Kirby has 500 people on staff there devoted to recruiting all the things, all the things. But it seems like now, with that new reality, it's just another thing that has been driving coaches out of the game. I don't want to put up with this nonsense. I've made my money. I'm going to coach high school or run a camp or something. Or maybe I'll be a running back coach for the Jets or something like that. The reality is college football really put a lot of pressure on college coaches. And it could, and it could certainly uh, end up affecting your health and everything else. The realities are just different now. 
It was never easy to begin with, the recruiting and everything else and the need to win, having to deal with boosters nagging you all the time, boosters perhaps talking to uh, other coaching candidates behind your back. It just seems like on the NFL level, he can just focus on one thing, coaching, and not having to be a CEO, do the rubber chicken circuit, go talk to those boosters at their little yuck-yuck meetings down in Bainbridge. (laughs) So, well, another guy that has decided to hang it up after 50 years in coaching, Dean Pease, has decided to retire. Great interview with uh, freaking uh, Hugh Douglas, and apparently Dean Pease and Hugh Douglas text each other a pretty good bit. Hugh and Dean Pease had a little bit of a dust-up early in the year. Felt like Hugh was unfairly criticizing, but it seems like they have a good relationship and mutual respect. I mean, Hugh knows what a great coach Dean Pease has been, and Dean knows what a a hell of a player that uh, Hugh Douglas was. We're going to come back and hear a lot from uh, Dean Pease. And who's going to be next for the Falcons? Jim Hazlitt's name's been bannered about. What, do you have to be a 70-year-old to be a defensive coordinator for the Falcons? Clearly, you have to be in your mid-70s to run for president now. Prerequisite is 65 and older. I guess so. We're going to hear from uh, Dean Pease and uh, also Arnold Ebicady on uh, Dean Pease's legacy, what he meant to this team. That's coming up next. Triple in for Chuckery. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. Those men right there, every one of those guys right there believe they said it in the locker room before we came out of the second half. Congratulations to Coach Kirby Smart and our dogs, back-to-back national champions. Way to go, dogs. From Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Rob Kimmelman for John Chuckery, Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Well, his career began at Elmwood High School in Ohio. As a defensive coordinator in 1973 and 74, went to Miami of Ohio as a defensive coordinator and secondary coach, then the Navy as a secondary coach, Toledo, Notre Dame as a secondary coach, Michigan State, was the head coach at uh, Kent State from 98 to 2003, had a 17 and 51 record though. Went to the the New England Patriots as a linebackers coach and the Patriots defensive coordinator. Coached inside linebackers with the Ravens, and he was their d- defensive coordinator, too, for five years. Then the Tennessee Titans retired, came out of retire- retirement as a Falcons defensive coordinator last year and this year. Talking about, of course, 73-year-old Dean Pease, who was decided to hang him up after a 50-year coaching career. Won a couple of Super Bowl rings as well. And uh, here's Dean Pease on uh, coming to that decision to hang him up. Talked it over with my wife. We had a lot of long discussions, kind of made a list, reasons to keep going, reasons to not keep going, and just kind of uh, really hashed it out and really talked about it for a while and um, and just came to the decision. I thought it was the, the right time. All right, Coach, but why? Why have you decided to hang up that whistle after 50 years in football? Like I said, it was my reasons. And number one uh, was the fact that 
there comes a point in time, I've been in this thing so long and been around so many players that extended their careers just a hair too long. Uh, guys that have had incredible careers and at the end maybe they've lost a little bit and they started to drift or you know lost speed or whatever it is physically and then maybe end up with a not not as good a ending and then that, that's what kind of people think about them and it's too it's tragic to me because they had such great careers right now my ego and my heart tell me to stay but my mind and my body told me it's time. And I wonder when, remember he got knocked over in that game, had to go to the hospital. I was up in Baltimore. Was that the Baltimore game when he got knocked over pregame? I believe so. I can't remember if it was an away game or a home game. It was an away game. It was an away game. Okay, I, it had I to blame, be the Baltimore game. I blame the sideline reporter, that, that broad that was interviewing him. Right there on the field as uh, they were fielding punts and – Backed into Dean Pease, knocked him down, had to go to the hospital. I'm sorry, when you're 73 years old and you get knocked down by an NFL player, yeah. even if they are backpedaling, that can have a jarring effect on you. you know. And I wonder if that added to it also, I wonder. Maybe yeah. his wife said that, you know, you did have to go to the hospital because you got knocked down. Maybe, you know, he's taking that as a, as, a, as a bigger sign. A bigger sign, time to go. Yep. I will tell you this, though. Falcons defense, you, you thought it was a hot mess, and certainly at times this year, they drove you crazy. They played pretty well, though, considering that lineup, like I said before, is put together with duct tape, spackle, scotch tape, gorilla glue, all of it. Super glue, you name it, due to the financial constraints. But uh, Dean Pease certainly saw a, a culture shift this year. I think, I think incredible. I attribute that to the coaches, you know, Coach Smith starting at the top, but especially the defensive coaches too. Everybody bought in. But the players also bought in. And because you, you got to get them, you know, it was a different system than what they had. And so you got to get them to buy in. And that first year, they all bought in. I just don't think we had, we couldn't do a lot of the stuff that we really wanted to do because you got to learn it. It's, it's not an easy system, it's just not. It takes a while to, to learn it. And so, but then this last year at the beginning of the season, we just did some crazy things. They, they were much more in tune. I told you that during training camp. I told you that someday I want this defense to be talked about like the other defenses that I've been around. And now I think they are that. I mean, I really believe one of the things I, I wanted to achieve personal goal was that I, every place I've been, I've had a top 10 defense. And I wanted to have a top 10 defense now here. And now I think there is a top 10 defense. They were the second half of the year. This was a top 10 defense. And so I feel good about that. And I just, the, the progress that they've made, I mean, it, every week I go back into that room, even if we lost a tough one, because we lost a bunch of tough ones here down the stretch, all by three points, four points, whatever. I mean, it takes a toll on you. You just get tired of watching that score up there. And there's the three point difference, and you had a chance to maybe win the game on one player or the other. And that takes a toll. But these guys come back in there on Wednesday, and when I talk to them or have the signal callers meeting, here we go again and bought right into what we wanted to do. And it just really paid paid off. And like I say, I just I couldn't be prouder of that group of men. And I think certainly the essence, I think, of uh, when you talk to any former NFL player, any former athlete who's on a team or even coach, the big part also is 
that locker room and the camaraderie and the uh, relationships you built, that's the, uh, that whole family thing because you spend so much time together. You kind of get close and you miss that. You miss that camaraderie. And uh, here's what uh, Dean P says is the toughest part about him leaving and retiring. I told, I shared with the team the reasons why uh, I'm not coming back and that I am going to retire. Uh, but first of all, I told them the, the hardest decision was not seeing them and being around the team. I love this defense. Where they've come from the beginning of this year to where they are now, I've never had a defense do that. Um, in this last nine games, we've given up an average of 314 yards a game and 19.7 and points a game, which would be fifth in the NFL right now. Unfortunately, it's not the way it is because we played the first eight games. And we weren't that way. But to know that a team can improve that much and has improved that much and was bought in that much is just really tremendous. I, I just can't say enough good things about them. Um, we went from 28th in the league in red zone to 14th. If you look, I think the final product was one of the things that I heard so much about at, in Atlanta defense when I came here was not finishing games. That was always the big push. Uh, we ended this year in second and a half points, second in the league behind Buffalo by one-tenth of a point. And so I'd say that's a, a pretty good tribute to those young men. I do wonder what guys like that do when they retire. I mean, guys have been so married to their, their sport as a coach all the time you devote to that. But then all of a sudden, no responsibility whatsoever. It seems like it might drive a guy like him crazy, but I'm sure he'll figure it out. But uh, certainly a great legacy. And uh, trust me, if you've been around for 50 years like he has and as well-respected as he is, he certainly has influenced some coaches. And here's uh, Coach Pease on that notion. Well, I hope I've influenced them. <laughs> I, I know I've worked with them, but you'd have to ask them if I actually influenced them. But it is kind of neat to look around and see, I don't know, there's like eight or nine coordinators here in the league that all worked for me at some point in time, a couple, couple head coaches. Uh, it's great to see them. It's great to see them have success. And uh, I wish them you know, the best. And I, I keep watching them all the time and always keep track of them. We talk a lot unless we're going to play each other. And uh, it's just been the camaraderie of this profession. And, and it's kind of crazy because, you know, you always see – you guys probably all see coaches standing out talking to each other before the game. Now, we want to whoop them when it goes. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's like yesterday I was talking to Tom before the game. Well, I have a great feeling for Tom. It's been six years coaching with him. I've played against him ten – now 11 times. And I'm uh, five and six, unfortunately. So, uh, but I'm probably not alone in that category, I would guess. But the, the point of it is, is that I have a great feeling for him, but also he wanted to whip me and I wanted to whip him. And so that, but you never know when you're going to be on one staff and pretty soon you're going to be coaching with that guy that you just out there were trying to beat the heck out of and be on the other staff. That's why you just, to me, it's, it's a fraternity. Like the players have a fraternity, the coaches kind of have a fraternity. Talking about Tom Brady, of uh, course. And, uh, you know, every athlete, every coach, they do, they may not be preoccupied with it daily, but they are aware of the fact that they do have a chance to leave a lasting legacy. And 
And all players and coaches want to have some sort of a legacy. And here's Dean Pease on his legacy. I really don't. The best example of that <laughs> was a year ago, I asked Dick LeBeau for his autograph. So <laughs> and he goes, why aren't you asking me? I said, well, you, you've done this. He goes, what do you think you've done? And that meant, that meant a lot to me. Uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't see myself in those, that light at all. Uh, tried to do my job. Tried to do it honestly. Tried to be loyal to all the guys that I've worked for. Um, I've told you guys in the past, I think one of the reasons I've never been fired is I've never looked for a job. I got a job. That's the job I got to do. I'm happy with it. I'm happy where I am. I'm not trying to all of a sudden jump the wagon and, and go to see, think grass is green or somewhere else. I've, I've not applied for jobs. Didn't apply for this one. Didn't apply for Tennessee. Didn't apply for Baltimore. Didn't apply for New England. Those were all jobs that somebody, he, they called me and asked me if I'd be interested. Absolutely, I'd be interested, and it worked out. But I think also the head coaches appreciated the fact that I wasn't out ever looking for another job. Uh, was asked at Baltimore about a head coaching job once. Not interested. Don't want to have any interest in it. Don't want to be a head coach. Happy doing what I'm doing. I've been out of the 50 years I've been coaching. I've been a coordinator, signal caller, 44 of them. And that's the thing. A lot of people automatically think that even on the college level, all coordinators want to be head coaches. Most of them do. A lot of them don't. They don't want to deal with the nonsense of being a head coach and everything associated with it, all the ancillary things. Some guys just like to coach. You had Bud Foster up there at Virginia Tech. He was up there forever. Never wanted to be a head coach. Mickey Andrews under uh, Bobby Bowden at Florida State. He was there for, gosh, a 1,000 years, it seemed like. Some guys just want to coach and teach one particular discipline or one aspect of uh, football, and Dean Pease was one of those guys. Arnold Libicati learned a lot from uh, Dean Pease as well, and here's he, uh, here he is talking about that. I say understanding the game as a whole. And now first, everything was kind of going fast, and later in the season, just understanding how to beat tackle different ways, and understanding the offensive scheme as a whole, and just being able to process things faster than I did early on. And uh, Abikati also liked the fact that uh, Dean Pease was good at breaking down the game plan in easily digestible morsels. I, I said the way he breaks up uh, the game plan and understanding the keys that we have to look for, uh, an opponent that we're playing, I think just going through that just helps you play faster overall. And he also has a, reflects a fondly. He, he reflects fondly upon the uh, last 18 weeks in that Falcon locker room with Dean Pease. Uh, I mean, these are some of the guys that I've been with the whole season. It's been a long season. I mean, eight, talk about 18 weeks, the people that you've been with uh, day in and day out. I mean, it's emotional, but at the same time, those are the people I'm, we're still going to stay in contact and be in touch with everybody. All right, going to come back. Who will take Dean Pease's place, and what does he think the Falcons do need personnel-wise going forward? Chuckery. Not here. Tribble is here. Sports Radio, 1990 Game. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. We want to take every opportunity that we can to score and be aggressive. Our dogs join an elite list of teams who have won back-to-back national championships. Congratulations, dogs. You've earned it. From Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game.
Falcons looking for a new defensive coordinator with the retirement of 73-year-old Dean Pease. Rob Tribble in for uh, John Chuckery. And um, one candidate, linebacker, uh, Coach Frank Bush. Remember, he took over for Dean Pease when he was knocked over. It was in New Orleans when he got knocked over and had to go to the hospital. And you have to wonder, since he was the interim defensive coordinator on that day, has Dean Pease been prepping him for this gig? Another good one, Tracy Rocker, the Auburn legend. He was a beast in college. Defensive line coach with the Eagles, guess what? Eagles have one of the best defensive lines in the NFL, if not the best. I think four guys with over 10 sacks. And he's got to be at least partially responsible for those big-time passing uh, rush numbers that they've accumulated up there. Uh, And I'm I'm looking at the Falcoholic right here. Great site, by the way, for uh, Falcon information. And Corey Woodard, Corey Woodruff. Kind of uh, broke down who the best candidates could possibly be. He also listed uh, Titans defensive line coach Terrell Williams. Now, he's a former assistant of P's staff in Tennessee. And uh, Arthur Smith likes to bring in dudes that he's familiar with. That's what he's kind of known for. And, uh, you know, he's overseen the development of uh, Jeffrey Simmons. And that's a huge feather in his cap. Jeffrey Simmons is now a beast in the NFL, and he had a big part in his development. Uh Jaguars passing game coordinator and cornerbacks coach Deshae Townsend. He's got a lot of connections to Atlanta as well. And, uh, you know, that Jaguar defense is a big, hugely responsible for them to get into the playoffs issue. Of course, the emergence of Trevor Lawrence helps and the fact that they have a competent coach and not a clown, a buffoon like Urban Meyer. But, um, you know, they're regarded. Jacksonville's defensive staff is regarded as one of the hottest defensive staffs in football with a lot of coveted uh, coaches there. Uh, Jaguars defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell has received a lot of praises for his work to revamp the Jacksonville defense, says Corey Woodruff. And Townsend has played a vital role in that as the team's passing game coordinator and cornerback's coach. And uh, so there's a lot of guys out there. Uh, Sean Desai, the, the, the Seahawks associate head coach, defensive assistant. And look at the Seahawks. They say bye-bye to Russell Wilson. What happens? They get to the playoffs with Geno Smith, and a big reason also is that defense. Vic Fangio, the former head coach, Eagles defensive consultant. Now, he's regarded as one of the best defensive coordinators of his generation. Is he also 70? <laughs> how, look up how old Vic Fangio is. Uh, uh, Dylan. But he's also tied to former Saints head coach uh, Sean Payton. So if Sean Payton decides to take a, take a gig, Vic Fangio might come along and be his defensive coordinator. Vic Fangio does not meet the prere- prerequisite requirement of Atlanta Falcons defensive coordinator age. He's only 64. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's a year too young. He's a year too young. Jim Schwartz, pretty good defensive mind. He, former coach of the uh, Lions, had a pretty good run there, but they kind of underachieved. But Jim Schwartz, one of the better defensive minds of recent memory. And he's on the uh, he's a senior defensive assistant with the Titans. Uh, Broncos defensive coordinator, uh, Jairo Ivero. Now you think about, well, the Broncos, well, the Broncos had a pretty good defense this year. They had a very good defense. They just couldn't score. Their, their offense was a joke. Lovey Smith also, since he's on the market now, I've been fired. That's an enticing name. And you got to think about this. I don't necessarily think the Texans should have fired Lovey Smith. They kind of set him up to fail. But then again, 
Lovey Smith probably knew that going in. Well, hell, I'll take a quick $6 million. Why not? Okay, that's fine. But you got to think, though, the Texans were pretty feisty and competitive in a lot of games. They almost beat the Cowboys, right? Um, I think they gave the Chiefs fits as well. And that's a big feather in our Lovey Smith's cap, not to mention he does have a bit of a pedigree. Now, let's see. Steelers senior defensive assistant linebackers coach Brian Flores. We remember him, controversially fired from the Dolphins. Might be too much of a malcontent to bring in here, though. I don't know. He's already been getting some interviews from other teams. Well, good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jared Mile, the Patriots linebackers coach. And uh, Cleveland just requested an interview with him for their defensive coordinating role. Now, he may want to stick around in New England, see if a head coaching role could come available down the line. 49ers defensive line coach. Chris Kachurik, and we know what the 49ers defensive line is. Beastly. Now, certainly, when you have really talented guys that can make a coordinator look really good, but he's the one, he's the tactician, though. He has to point them in the right direction and, you know, set them up and, uh, you know, build up their strengths so they can make plays. So it's not always necessarily about that. Coaching is involved. So there's a lot of guys. And I, I'd, I'd be okay with whomever. I trust Arthur Smith on that front. I mean, I'm not very good at – vetting defensive coordinators. All you can do is go back and see where those guys ranked or if they're a secondary coach or a, an assistant defensive coach who wants to vault up to a defensive coordinator. I wonder if Frank Bush would be the best one, though. Maybe not the sexiest one, but as far as continuity, though. These players are two years into this system, and a lot of them are coming back. Yes, you're going to supplement you know, your D-line through the draft and free agency, you know, all levels of the defense. The linebacking core seems pretty solid. And Dean P says it'd be nice to get another cornerback to go with uh, to book in with AJ Terrell. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe a third rounder on a corner or a second rounder, maybe. I hope the first two rounds goes to an edge rusher and a defensive lineman, then maybe a cornerback. And wide receiver, fourth or fifth round. You can find serviceable guys to supplement Drake London and, and Pitts and Zacase and all those guys. But I wonder if Frank Bush would be the best fit because of the continuity. He didn't do a bad job in New Orleans. He's kind of thrust into duty. The Falcons' defense kind of sputtered but eventually settled down and played well. And you can't argue with the results this year. You can talk about, well, they're playing bad quarterbacks, blah, blah, blah. Falcons' defense kept him in eight of those ten losses this year. Gave him a chance to win. Eight of those ten losses came down to the one possession or the final possession or three points or less, six points or less. And there are several games where the defense – Defense held the opposition to 24 points or fewer. I think back-to-back weeks holding the opposition 19 points, but unfortunately lost those games. And there were a lot of situations where the defense got a stop when they needed to, exactly. gave the offense the ball with Precisely a chance to win, sir. Yep, and they folded. Yep, we've got a, got a turnover. And think about this. Yep. Had that Grady Jarrett – Mike Conti tweeted this today. I find it interesting. Had Grady Jarrett not been penalized for that horrible roughing the passer call, that dreadful call – had everything in the NFL fell into place the way it did and the Falcons win that game at Tampa Bay, they'd be in the playoffs as division champions. You can say it came down to that one play. But I think this uh, defense is pretty close. Some, some pieces did emerge. Richie Grant started playing well. Uh, Rashard Evans played great this year, too. Just need some uh, – but Dean Pease was saying, we need a guy to help out A.J. Terrell. We need a, a bookend out there. Definitely need some guys to help Grady in the interior of that defensive line. And this is a deep draft for it. It certainly is. It's a deep draft. So, 
Frank Bush, Tracy Rocker, all those names. Tracy Rocker's an intriguing name. I remember him from Auburn. He was, a, he was scary. He was a beast, and he's been coaching forever. I think he's coached with every college team known to man and every pro team known to man in some role. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. But uh, Dean Pease, of course, retiring, and he said – it came down to the last minute before making that decision. He said he sat down with his wife and discussed the pros and cons. And, you know, after 50 years, I guess it was just time to go away. But uh, a lot of people were very critical of him, but it's not necessarily his fault. His scheme's pretty solid, I think. You just need the players to execute, and the Falcons just didn't quite have the personnel. And you can arguably say that Dean Pease helped them overachieve. And granted, those guys on the roster overachieved well because they bought in and they worked hard and they played pretty well. And you heard Dean P. say, latter part of the season, they were a legit top 10 defense. They were. But unfortunately, those uh, numbers get skewed because of that, that loss to the Rams, which you still had a chance to win, and just getting boat raced by uh, the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. So lots of uh, questions to be answered up in a flowery branch, of course. 70-plus million in uh, money to spend on free agents. And there's a lot of people that are claiming, Lamar Jackson, Lamar, I'm so sick of seeing that. That is such a poor Take number one, he ain't going nowhere. They're going to franchise him. They might franchise him two years in a row like they did Kirk Cousins. Well, Kirk Cousins made $40 million in those two years. It's gone up now a bit. I think Lamar Jackson, if they franchised him two years in a row, he'd make $60 million. <laughs> It's unbelievable. At that point, you might as well sign the guy. Right, I know. At that point, right, you might as well sign the guy. So there's a lot of, uh, lot of questions to be answered, and I think Terry Fontenot and company are going to be well-equipped to answer them. I do think this is a very astute, very bright, very reasonable, very rational group of people that are running the Falcons now between Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith. And I have a feeling, it, it appears to me they have a very good working relationship. They see things the same way, and that's what you hope. Because, uh, you know, I, I, I don't see how coaches – wear both hats as a GM and head coach. It rarely works. It worked with Bill Belichick, basically, and not many others, though. It's just too, mu- too many responsibilities. You're stretched way too thin, and something as a result is going to suffer. So, you know, it's, it, it behooves an organization to have a GM and a coach that see things the same way and have the same philosophy and evaluate things with the uh, same sort of eye. So Dean is retiring at the age of 73. And uh, not sure when they're going to announce a new defensive coordinator. I'm sure sooner rather than later. We may not hear anything until after the Super Bowl, I guess. That's how it works. I'm not sure. But we'll see going forward some good pieces, though. There are some guys that came in here. Falcons have 25 free agents. Only three of them are making over $2 million a year, which is crazy. I mean, there's a ton of them. And it makes you wonder who is going to be coming back next year. Certainly a lot of uh, – Difficult decisions have to be made. There's some financial realities. you got to make sure you don't overpay guys. But um, the guys making $2 million or more, you got Lorenzo Carter at $3.5 million, Caleb McGarry, the tackle, at 2 Alamade Zacchaeus, 2.4. I would definitely try to get Alamade Zacchaeus back. He seems to be such a stabilizing factor. He's a, he's a, good, he's a good option, just a solid option. As like a number two or a number three. Isaiah Oliver, the cornerback, they did like him, but he hasn't quite been the same since the injury. Rashawn Evans has played great this year. I think he led the team in tackles, right? Or he's he second did. in the league. Yeah. Yep. Led the team in tackles. Bradley Pinion, the punter, he's been very good this year. Anthony Ferkser, the tight end, he's certainly been a serviceable piece. I don't know if you bring him back or not. 
Elijah Wilkinson, the guard, and Colby, Colby Gossett, the guard? I don't know. I haven't really looked at what their grades are, but they don't necessarily excite me all that much. At this point, I'm all for bringing Rashawn Evans back, yeah. as long as you don't just crazily overpay him. Exactly. And I'm okay with bringing Caleb McGarry back, but that really needs to be at the right price. That has to be at the right price, exactly. Rashawn Evans, I'm okay with spending a yep. little bit more on him because I think he, he earned, earned it. it, but Caleb McGarry, eh, he was okay. I'm not quite sold on him yet, though. And that linebacking core of the Falcons is shaping up really well. Yeah. Evans, um, Anderson. Yep, Troy Anderson. Dean P spoke highly of Troy Anderson. He said he's basically he's just a puppy when it comes to playing linebacker. You know, we had to play quarterback a little while in college and running back. But this guy's like 6'3", 247, runs a four, bona fide 4'4". Four, four. I mean, he's a freak of an athlete, and Dean Pease talked about how bright he is. He just hasn't played enough football, but he's gotten better and better as the season has gone on. And I think uh, if you're Troy Anderson, having a guy like Dean Pease that's been around for 50 years certainly has taught him a hell of a lot. We know that for a fact. So, uh, Michael Pruitt, the uh, – <laughs> He of the 13 catches for four touchdowns this year. I think he has more touchdowns than any other Falcons receiver. Demir Bird, also a free agent, but he disappeared. He was responsible for two of the Falcons' most explosive plays, but didn't really see much of them. All right, we're going to come back. Top of the hour. It looks like the John Collins rumors are uh, heating up yet again. It's the uh, weekly John Collins trade rumor. Rob Tribble in for John Chuckery, Sports Radio, 1990 Game. 